0: Today we're starting a new series called How It All Began. There are lots of people who claim Jesus as a mascot for their cause, but they've imagined him on their own terms rather than taken him on his. This series looks at the earliest days of Jesus' public ministry to better understand the true heart of his life and ministry. In the book The Explicit Gospel, Matt Chandler writes about a woman named Kim whom he and his friends invited to a gospel concert. They hoped and prayed that she would hear the good news about Jesus and respond. What happened instead was, in his terms, a train wreck. He described it like this. The preacher took the stage and disaster ensued. (laughs) He gave a lot of statistics about STDs. There was a lot of, you don't want syphilis, do you? His big illustration was to take out a single red rose. He smelled the rose dramatically, caressed its petals. And talked about how beautiful this rose was and how it had been fresh cut that day then he threw the rose out into the crowd and he encouraged everyone to pass it around as he neared the end of his message he asked for the rose back but by now it was broken and drooping and the petals were falling off he held up this now ugly rose for all to see and his big finish was this now who in the world would want this His word and his tone were merciless. His essential message, which was supposed to be and represent Jesus' message to a world of sinners, was this, hey, don't be a dirty rose. Kim went home assuming that God saw her life like that dirty rose, broken, worn, and useless. I had almost the exact same experience with a friend I invited to an evangelistic event. The speaker used Jesus' name a lot, but it didn't sound like the message of Jesus that I knew. Maybe I didn't know Jesus as well as I thought. Or maybe the speaker had gotten it wrong. This can happen in Christian families, too. Parents will talk to their kids about Jesus and the Bible, but then they'll ascribe messages to Jesus that seem completely at odds with what he said. They give their children the anti-gospel sometimes, And then they're surprised that they end up rejecting him. How do you know that you're not doing that? How do you know that you haven't misunderstood what Jesus really taught? To answer those questions, I want to look with you at Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 14. Luke brings this event forward as the first event in Jesus's public ministry, as if to say, if you want to understand Jesus, start here. If you have a a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn with me there now. If you don't have one, you can click on the link for today's passage in the description below. I'll read from Luke 4, verses 14 to 30. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth with But only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha and none of them was cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things all in the synagogue were filled with wrath and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst he went away. This is the word of God. Now notice, first of all, how Jesus proclaimed himself as the hope for the desperate. Jesus wasn't so much laying out plans for an NGO or a new political system. He delivered a message of good news that centered in himself. Jesus proclaimed himself as a hope for the desperate. Now, we learn in verse 15 that Jesus has been traveling around Galilee, teaching in their synagogues as a traveling preacher. Galilee was a northern district in Israel, and as Jesus returns to his hometown of Nazareth, he's visiting a village whose population was likely measured in hundreds, not thousands. He goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath like any faithful Jew in his time. And in verses 17 and 18, when he's handed the scroll of Isaiah he turns to Isaiah 61 and reads verses 1 and 2. This was a famous passage that gave great hope to the Jews. It reminded them that the Messiah would come to deliver his people. What's so amazing about the passage is that the Messiah is speaking in the first person about what he would come to do. Some people focus on what this message means for the poor and the oppressed. But notice, first of all, what it means for the person who's speaking. In verse 18, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Then it says, He has anointed me, and he has sent me. You can't hear Jesus quote these words and not realize he's making some incredible claims about himself. He's reading a passage that promised the arrival of someone who would change everything. Now, While we often miss that part, we have a tendency to add things that actually aren't there. Notice that Jesus doesn't lay out a plan to relieve economic inequality. It says that he's been anointed to proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus doesn't organize a jailbreak or lead a resistance movement to free Israel from Roman domination. Instead, he announces that he's been sent to proclaim liberty to the captives. It's the same with the blind. He doesn't introduce a cure to eradicate blindness. He proclaims recovering of sight to the blind. It's the same in verse 19, where he proclaims the year of the Lord's favor. This referred to the year of Jubilee, where slaves were freed and people's debts were forgiven. But Jesus doesn't launch an abolitionist movement or a debt cancellation program. He quotes a passage that speaks of a Savior with a message of profound hope. But he's declaring the gospel. When he's finished reading, people are freaking out already. Verse 20 says that everyone's eyes were fixed on him. They're glued to him to see what he'll do next. And in verse 21, as he begins to preach, he starts with, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This was the ultimate mic drop. But what does it even mean? Again, it doesn't mean that there aren't any more poor people or prisoners or blind people or people who are oppressed. What Jesus was saying was that he'd come to fulfill this passage. He'd come as a savior. He'd come to declare hope to the needy. He brought a message of relief to all who feel their need of it. Now, Jesus healed many sick people. He healed many blind people. He released many people from oppression. But notice, the miracles were to support his message, not the other way around. Jesus wasn't primarily a healer who managed to come up with a witty comment every now and then. Jesus came with a message of hope and good news, and as he proclaimed it, he performed miraculous acts of compassion to prove who he is and to confirm the good news that he declared. Today, what sometimes happens is that people deny who Jesus is, ignore what he said, and then say they're following Jesus because they care about the poor and the oppressed. But that's missing the point completely. Other people say that they're all into Jesus, but they don't ever seem to care for needy people. And what comes out of their mouth never sounds like good news doesn't sound like a message of hope, or freedom, or healing at all. It often just sounds like a rant of what's wrong with the world, or a list of all the rules that God wants us to keep, or a warning of how scary God is. Jesus proclaimed himself as the hope for the desperate. If you're going to take him seriously, you need to come to terms with who he is and embrace the good news, not only for yourself, but for the needy people of our world. Now, the next lesson that we learn from this passage is that some people want the signs, but not what they point to. They're big on seeing Jesus do something amazing for them, but they're not much interested in coming to terms with what the miracle was intended to teach them. People want the signs, but not what they point to. Now, in verse 22, you see the response to Jesus' sermon, and we'll look at it in two parts. First, it says, And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Rabbi, you knocked that one out of the park. That was quite a sermon. Very stirring. Deeply touching. Wherever Jesus went, it was the same. They liked his sermons. At the very least, they were unpredictable. It's not every day you hear a preacher say, and this verse is talking about me. Not to mention the shock in the room where he'd turn and call the local religious authorities a brood of snakes. Jesus' preaching was more exciting than your average guy. He was fun to listen to. But look at the second half of the response. And they said, it's not this Joseph's son great message, but who does he think he is? That's Joe's boy. Where does he get off saying this has been fulfilled in your hearing? Like many people today, they like the good news and love your neighbor parts of Jesus's message, but they struggle with his claims to be God. They want to just treat him as a carpenter's son. That way, they can treat him as a peer. They don't have to submit to him if he's just a guy. Jesus sees what's going on, so he challenges him directly. And in verse 23, he says, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we've heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. Now the phrase, physician, heal yourself, was a common one. And here it means something like, Prove your worth as a physician. Show us what you've got. But notice that they've already heard that he's performed lots of miracles at Capernaum. So it's not as if they're open to being convinced. They just want to see Jesus perform like a circus act. Or maybe they want to see Jesus the way many people want to see God today. He's there to keep us happy and make our lives comfortable. It goes back to what we were saying before. Jesus never set out to eradicate poverty or blindness. He performed those miracles to show his compassion and his authority as God. The miracles were signs, but the people in his hometown of Nazareth weren't interested in what the signs were pointing to. They wouldn't take Jesus seriously. But even godly people can stumble on this point. When John the Baptist was arrested and thrown in prison, he began to have his own doubts. Wasn't the Messiah supposed to set the captives free? In Matthew 11, verses 2 and 3, it describes his struggle like this. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to them, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? He figures the Savior of the world would surely spring his favorite prophet out of jail. But listen to the response, starting in verse 4. And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. What Jesus is saying is, tell John to follow the evidence. Believe what the signs are pointing to. I never came to heal everyone or get everyone out of jail. The miracles are so that you'll believe, not so that nothing uncomfortable ever happens to you. Have you understood that distinction? This week I was listening to a podcast and heard the testimony of the lead guitarist for a 90s UK rock band. He talked about how he called out to God in a 12-step group as he was seeking relief from alcohol addiction. He learned to pray. And as he got sober, he said it was the happiest time of his life. But after a number of years, he said that he reverted to his old atheist self. As the host pressed him for more detail about his experience of God, he admitted that while he prayed regularly, he wasn't much into services. It was clear he was grateful for God delivering him, but not grateful enough to learn who God is and what he wants for his life. He enjoyed the sense of God's presence that he felt when he talked to God, but he didn't enjoy it enough to actually listen to what God had to say to him. And I wonder how many of you can relate to that. Has the evidence that Jesus has given you persuaded you to trust him with your life and learn to follow his ways? Or are you constantly expecting God to prove himself to you? in your mind, is God only ever as good as the last prayer that he's answered for you? If it is, that's not a relationship. That's the way you treat a genie, not a savior. And if that's you, you haven't yet really understood what Jesus came to do. The final lesson of this passage is that Jesus doesn't promise to bless those who think they deserve it. You don't get an inside track with Jesus because you're related to some of his followers. And even though he proclaimed good news to the poor, not even the poor get a free pass. Jesus doesn't promise to bless those who think they deserve it. Now, as the hometown crowd begins to show their resistance to Jesus, he tells a story of two of the most famous prophets from Israel's past, Elijah and Elisha. Like Jesus, they too ministered primarily in northern Israel. But he makes the point that although there were lots of widows in Israel during the three and a half year famine that they faced, Elijah didn't heal any of them. And although there were lots of lepers in the time of Elisha, he didn't heal any of them either. Elijah was sent instead to a pagan widow in the coastal town of Zarephath outside of Israel. And the only leper that Elisha healed was a Syrian general named Naaman. What Jesus is saying is that the poor in Israel during their ministry were beyond mercy. They so resisted God in their lives and sought their relief in the world that they experienced none of his blessing. And the same was true of the sick. Jesus deliberately gives an example of a poor woman and a rich man to clarify what he meant earlier about proclaiming good news to the poor. Often, poverty will move a person to call out to God and open their heart to him. But even the poor can be deaf to God's good news for the poor. You can stubbornly resist God in your poverty as much as a rich person can humble themselves in faith and dependence on God. The bottom line is whether you recognize your need of a Savior and whether you're willing to trust Him with your life. For the crowd that gathered in the synagogue in Nazareth that day, being compared to the hard-hearted ancestors was just too much. They figured that God owed them. If there was good news to be preached, they deserved it more than anyone. The idea that God would show his mercy to foreigners and outsiders, that was more than they could handle. Verse 28 says it filled them with wrath and they rose up, dragged Jesus to the edge of a cliff where they were intent on throwing him down and likely pelting him with rocks. Of course, Jesus would not die before it was his time. Now, obviously, This was a terrible response to a sermon, and Luke places this event right at the beginning of his description of Jesus' public ministry, as if to say, this is the good news Jesus preached, and this is the response he could ultimately expect. But while his detractors would eventually succeed in putting Jesus to death along the way, many responded to the good news he proclaimed. So let's make sure we've heard it. Jesus' gospel was good news to the poor. Not because he gave out money or alleviated their poverty, but because he invited them into a relationship with God that wasn't based on haves and have-nots. He offered eternal life as a free gift, not something that went to the highest bidder. He offered them the hope of heaven, where they would finally be free of the oppression and abuse that they offered in this one. And he offered them community here in this life where the rich and poor would learn to relate to one another as brothers and sisters on an equal plane before God. That was Jesus's message, and it was a message his followers learned to share. Have you heard his good news? Have you learned to share that good news? Is the news that you share good? Or is it just good for people like you? Do you care for the poor? Or do you figure they get what they deserve? Do you see those who are oppressed? Or are you just glad that you're the one that's free? Following Jesus means learning to see the people he saw. It means embracing the message that he announced. And it means finding in him the hope and the freedom that we all long for. Now, at the beginning of the message, I told you about the woman named Kim, whom Matt Chandler and his friends had invited to that event. After that night, Matt didn't hear from Kim for a few weeks. Finally, her mother called and told Matt that she had been in an accident. He went to visit her right away. In the middle of their conversation, seemingly out of nowhere, she asked, do you think I'm a dirty rose? His heart sank as he felt the weight of her condemnation. And he explained the good news of how Jesus wants the rose. He explained Jesus's desire to save, redeem, and restore the dirty rose. Shared with her the gospel. He shared with her the message of hope. He shared Jesus. Find hope in him today. And if you have learned to see the poverty in this world and share the hope that there is in Jesus Christ. Let's look to him now in prayer. Heavenly Father, there is so much that is wrong in our world today. We see pain, we see poverty, we see suffering, and we see inequality. We thank you that Jesus came. We thank you that he came to bring a message of hope. We thank you that because he gave his life as a ransom for sin, that your free gift of eternal life is available to all, without cost. We all stand equal in our need of the salvation that Jesus offers. Help us to lay hold of it in faith, and having done so, Father, help us to take it to a world around us, to see the needs that you see, to see people who are hurting, who are longing for that hope that only Jesus can satisfy. Do that work in us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I hope this message has helped you to understand Jesus' message of hope for this world. If it stirred up questions or you'd like to know more about a relationship with Jesus, send me an email, or leave a comment below. If you think this is a message that others need to hear, share the link and help spread the word. As always, for more messages of hope, visit gracebc.ca. God bless, and see you next time.